All right, we're in a series called The Unhurried Life. Week two of that series, and we're going to get into it. Um, Some of you have already started uh, your small group, your Sabbath group, and I love the beginning of the Sabbath groups because everyone wins at the beginning. The, The first exercises are the easiest to complete. They're literally like stop and take a nap with Jesus, and you're like, I like that. Okay, I can do that. Um, but I, I just want you to know I'm praying for you in that, and the whole point of that, of whatever you're doing these two weeks, as you meet, as you practice, is to find Jesus. And we'll talk more about that. All right, we're going to start with a game, because I like games. And this one is set up for you to win. I think if, if you're my age or older, and I'm a sprightly 42, you're gonna, this will be no problem for you. Um, this is the name of the game. Identify the voice that you hear, okay? Super easy. All right, let's play the first one. The force is with you, young Skywalker. But you are not a Jedi yet. Okay, not what you thought you'd hear this morning, right? <laughs> Who is it? Yeah, okay, well, I'm hearing two things. It's Darth Vader and James Earl Jones, yes. Very, very good. Um, I'm a Star Wars nerd, so... I, I tried to pick things that you would know. If, the, if you didn't know the voice, the breathing should have given it away, given it away right away. All right, number two, let's play it. Under the really large tax cut, I always call it massive. Sometimes they say huge. Not a bad one. Huge tax cut. Former President Trump. Very good. Okay. Hey, we're just doing identifiable voices. Okay, there's not... I'm not trying to make any kind of statements with that, all right? All right, um, third one. There are those of us who like to venture to the unexplored, to see the beauty and the strange and unknown. Those of us who go out there with a sense of Wonder. Morgan Freeman. Dude, I was inspired just then. That, I mean, like, God, the gift of a voice. You, never, you don't think about that, but his voice, right? God gave him a gift with that. Um, noticeable. Okay, fourth one, one of my favorites. No. Try not. Do. Or do not. There is no try. Anyone know? Yoda, my man. Right. Yes. Okay, and this last one, if, you're, if you've been around here, it's a shorter one. But if you've been around NBC at all, you should know it. Let's do it. Amen. Good morning, Moraine Valley Church. Good morning to everybody joining us online. And we just sang an amazing song. Gary Olson? Who said that? <laughs> Your years of ministry together have merged you into one being. That is our good Pastor Pat. Um, Turn to John 10. While you're turning there, uh, this is the point of that really, really dumb game. Um, If, now some of you, if you're new here, you might not have known that that was Pastor Pat, right? Um, But if you've been around here, he's our shepherd and his voice is identifiable. We know it. And um, he's dear to us. And 
at the beginning of John 10, Jesus is going to make, uh, he's going to start talking about sheep and shepherding. And I'm going to pull it up here too. And um, he's going to say this thing, like the, sh- the sheep know the voice of the shepherd. And I want you to hear that. Right? And just hold on to that as we go throughout this morning. But uh, John 10, verse 1, I'm reading from the ES. Oh, what am I in? NIV right now. Uh, Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees. So first of all, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. What you need to know is that this isn't the beginning of a conversation. This is a conversation that's been happening over the last several chapters. And it's not like they're becoming best friends, Okay. It's like the direct opposite. They have tried to trick and trap and accuse Jesus. At one point, they've already tried to stone him to death. And at the end of this chapter, they're actually going to try again. And Jesus is saying things that they don't like. He's already said that basically they're the spawn of Satan, right? Exactly what you want spiritual leaders, you know, when you come into contact with Jesus, what you want to hear from him. I mean, he, they're, they're really going at it. But, but he's talking to them, and he says, Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, verse 1, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He knows, sorry, he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. And the next verse, six, Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Jesus is basically telling some basic facts that they would have all known about shepherding at that point. And the Pharisees are like, where are you going with this? I don't get it. Right? But he makes some points. A real shepherd comes through the gate while a thief sneaks in another way. The sheep listen to and know the shepherd's voice. They, he calls them by name, so he knows them, and he leads them. And the sheep follow the shepherd because they know his voice, but they'll run away from a stranger. Now, go on down to verse 11. And again, I'm not going to tell you anything you may not know already this morning. That's not my goal, to be profound. My goal is to help you see things that you already know clearly. Jesus says this, and you've heard it before. I am the what? The good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Skip to verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, a shepherd giving up his life for the sheep, like that was his whole role, was to protect and take care of the sheep. So that would have been language that wouldn't have stirred maybe anything crazy for the disciples. But you have to wonder, once they understand that Jesus was meant to die on a cross, like how many of the teachings did they come back to and be like, do you remember 
When Jesus said he was the shepherd that laid down his life for the sheep, that makes total sense to me in a new way now. Right? We have the benefit of knowing that as we read Jesus' words here, but he hasn't died on a cross yet. He's just saying he's the good shepherd. Jesus knows his sheep, and his sheep know him. In the same way, and Pat has preached on this before, as the Father knows the Son, and the Son knows the Father. So the same kind of knowing, this is what Jesus says about him and his flock. Like those who belong to him, they know him the same way the Father knows him. And he knows them the same way the Father knows him. It's that kind of knowing, that kind of depth of intimacy. That's an incredible statement. Right? That, I dare to say, is beyond what we can actually comprehend, guys. It really is. It goes further than you and I can really understand. God knows you inside and out. I remember reading through the Gospels in my early 20s. Um, I was interning here, so I was helping out with the youth group, and I was finishing up school, and it was the first, like, the first time I actually read the Gospels on my own. And I remember coming up to this passage. Now, first of all, there's so many things that I, had, I was like wowed by. Like Jesus just said things that I didn't, I was like, no one ever taught me that Jesus said that. I came across so many things that were new for me. But then I came across this statement of like, oh man, the sheep know the, vo- the voice of their shepherd. And if I was honest with myself, that frightened me because I couldn't tell you that I understood what that meant. And I, I didn't really know the voice of the shepherd at that point in my life, kind of. But like, the truth is, when I slowed down in my early 20s, there was a lot of voices that I would hear. A lot of them were the voices of others, things that had been said to me. Some of it was self-condemnation. A lot of it was condemning. And it's taken a long time to discern in relationship with Jesus what his voice actually sounds like, if I'm honest. So the reason I didn't like that is because I thought when Jesus said, my sheep should know my voice, that if I'm a Christian, I should totally get that right away. And that was like, what am I doing wrong? But the truth is, that is a journey. And that is the journey, actually, of this life. I was, I was looking at videos. If you want to have like a weird amount of fun, just look up videos of like modern-day shepherds. And they all have like weird ways they call their sheep. How many, does anyone own sheep here? Okay, I didn't think so, but, you know. I know some of you have chickens, so just in case we were going that way. Um... So Shepherd, today's Shepherd, and he's a Christian, he's, he's reflecting on his faith. He's wa- I watched this video, he's walking through the, the field with his sheep, and he's like, man, I'm just reflecting how, like, they're just following him as he's talking. Wherever he, wherever he turns, they follow. Wherever he goes, they're like, yep, they're hanging out. And he's like, you know, my sheep know my voice, and they follow me. If I went to another, like, flock, and I started calling them, I started talking to them, Nothing would happen. And that makes sense, right? They're not, he's not their shepherd. It's not just because he's a pro-shepherd that every sheep follows him. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. And so he says, when I bring a new sheep into my fold, that sheep doesn't know my voice. 
So how does it know to follow? How does it become a part of this? What is the journey then from not knowing to knowing? And he's like, they walk in step with the sheep who do know my voice. So they come, they're, they're surrounded by sheep that do know the voice of the shepherd. And they learn from others. They learn from others what the shepherd sounds like, what, where he would take you. Is it making sense? Yeah, I think you're getting it. And over time, it becomes less about doing what the other sheep are doing, and then eventually, it's just that sheep knows the shepherd, and, he tr- and they trust the shepherd, and they follow the shepherd of their own accord. And in my early 20s, the truth is that like, I had not cultivated any kind of place in my life where I was still before God, where I spent any time, I mean, I read his word, but I didn't get it often. I didn't know how to pra- like practice my faith. But I still had real encounters with God. Like, I still loved worshiping with God's people. I loved hearing the word of God taught to me. I loved, I loved praying with other Christians. Like, when I prayed by myself, I was so restless and I couldn't, like, it was like I couldn't focus on God, but somehow when I prayed with others, it was like God became clear to me and his presence became known. Now, that's, that was my experience. But over time, I learned, too, how to pray, right, and how to walk with God. And I learned the voice of the shepherd. I say all that to say this. Knowing Jesus takes time. Knowing the voice of the shepherd takes time. And God is okay with that. Because when you put your faith in Jesus, let's just think about it, what happened? God, the scriptures say that God gave you a new heart. A new heart that was alive to God. So that that was a transformation that happened in your person. He also gave you a new spirit. He placed his Holy Spirit inside of you. And so you have the Spirit of God at work in you to help you know God. So you have a heart that's open to God. You have a new spirit, a new power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in your life. And you have a new life, it says. Right? It says you were raised from death to life, just as Jesus was raised from the dead. You're a new creation. Romans 6, 4, you were raised with Jesus so that you may live a new life. What happens when you come to faith in Jesus is a beginning. It's all this potential to walk with God. But what doesn't happen when you come to Jesus, unless, and you tell me if this is true in your life, you don't just become a Jesus clone on day one. Did that happen to anyone? Now, God can do miraculous things, and he's at work in our lives. I remember when my dad came to Christ, he came out of a hard life, of hard drinking, hard smoking, hard partying, and that all ended immediately. He was set free. So, yes, God does change us, 
But he also leaves us in process. God is content with you not being fully like Jesus on day one. Why? Because God is okay with this process of learning the shepherd's voice to take time. It's actually designed for us to need him. You need God's help to walk with him. So we come to faith in Jesus, and yeah, we we get to this point in our life where we realize, who else would I go to? Jesus' life is, is yours. It's in your name. Like, you're the one who gives life. Who else would I learn from? And Jesus designs it so that we need him all the way through. We need God to do what only he can do in our lives. So everything in life is designed to drive us back to him. God loves that we need him. Hear that. God loves that you need him. That you can't do it without him. That is his design. And we know this. Life doesn't stop being challenging, right? When you follow Jesus, sometimes it gets harder. And again, that is part of the design. It's a design that puts us back, drives us back to him. See, this whole thing, the whole thing, guys and gals, men and women, if you prefer, um, is about withness, not withness, all right? Not with, but with, W-I-T-H-N-E-S-S. It's about being with Jesus. It's him that has life. Go back to John 10, verse 10, one of the most famous verses in the Bible. It says this. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, your translation might say have abundant life, right? So this is, Jesus is saying this is the very purpose for which I have come. Is for you to be alive. Now, it's really important. In the English, we only have one word for life. It's life, okay? Um, and in, in the Bible, in the New Testament, there's two words that I know of. There might be more. The first is Zoe. Can we say that? Zoe? And the second is, I don't know if I'm going to get this right, Suche? Can we say that? Okay, and then don't tell anyone you know that because I probably taught you wrong, okay? But it's something like that. I know it's Zoe and then Suche or something like that, all right? Suche life is this. It's your ordinary life. It's the breath in your lungs. It's the life of you as an individual person, right, that begins conception, we would say, right, and goes to, the, to your last breath. That's Suche life. It's your life. Zoe life is God's life. It's eternal life. You might hear it's often interpreted in the, in the scriptures. It's a forever life. It is the life source of all things. It's what all life stems from. It's God life. And so when Jesus says, I come that you may have life, he's not just saying I'm coming to give you a quality of your life. I'm coming to give you a Zoe life. A life that is different than the one you have. That's greater and beyond what you have in and of your own self. 
It's a life that comes from me, God, and then I share with you. And so abundant Zoe, full life, is life that Jesus shares. It comes from him. John, if you go, and John, the whole book of John, by the way, John's no stranger. He says, if you go to, you can flip here, John 20, 31. Reading the Gospel of John is one of my favorite. Like, if you haven't read the Gospel of John, do that. Jesus reveals so much about himself in this book. But John isn't hiding why he wrote this. Um, He says, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have Zoe in his name. So John is writing all of the things that happen in this book. John's putting down for you because he wants you to believe that Jesus is who he said he was, that he's God. He's the Son of God. He's the Messiah. And if he, John believes that if you believe that about Jesus, that you come alive in Christ. You're given a life, a Zoe life by God. right? And that's what we're talking about. Jesus says the same thing, you know, I've come that you might have life, life abundant. Now, what is abundant life in Jesus? What does that mean? When I was a kid, if you asked me that question, I would just say, go to heaven. Anyone there? When you have a little faith, that's what I thought that meant, at least. And that's a part of it. See, the abundant life that Jesus offers, one, it comes from him, not of ourselves. What it looks like, what it produces in our life is the fruit of the Spirit. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. What Jesus' life in your life looks like, right? the result of it is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. And self-control. That's what the life of Christ produces in us. But what is it? What does it look like? And we're going to let Jesus define that. Again, not profound but important. Read, let's go to John 17. Verse 3. And Jesus is praying, and he says this in his prayer to the Father. Now, this is eternal life. Guys, this is Zoe life. Speaking of his followers, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That they know you, the only true God, and know Jesus, who was sent by God. The abundant life, the only abundant life that Jesus is offering you is knowing him and knowing the Father. The only abundant life that Jesus is offering is to the knowledge of him and knowing the Father 
And knowing God takes time. It means that the journey that we're on, our spiritual journey, is about knowing Jesus more. The further we progress, the closer we are to God. And it's not about knowledge up here, right? It's about knowing. The word there is, um, I wrote it down somewhere else. Okay. Dave, what's the word? Yeah, that's it. Thank you. And um, that word means, it's the same word that like, Jews use for intimacy, right? Int- you know what I mean? Intimacy? Well, I'm not going to, you know, we're family friendly here. I'm not going to say. But yeah. It's the same word that they use for the most intimate relationship between a husband and a wife. This knowing of God. And so, you, you guys are probably like, so what? <laughs> I've heard that before. All right. Um, I'm trying to get my brain out to you, okay? So I'm going to do my best. So knowing Jesus is eternal life. This is what this is all about. In fact, um, this is where it's all headed. Um, well, some of my favorite language of the prophets speaking about the kingdom that's coming is that the knowledge of God will fill the earth like water covers the seas. Uh, that's Isaiah, I think, in chapter 11. Or um, and I think it's Habakkuk. It says, the, the, like the, glory, the knowledge of the glory of God will fill the earth the same way water covers the seas. Have you ever been in a sea? Like, how much water is in it? Yeah, it's all water, guys. <laughs> so, but like, there's a, there's a time coming when the fabric of reality, all of reality, will be filled with the knowledge of God in its fullness. Because the knowledge of who God is, when we see and know God for who he is, it writes things. It writes our understanding of who he is. It writes our understanding of ourselves. He even says in Isaiah, that's the famous passage where uh, it says that the lion and the lamb will lie down together. He's talking about, I believe he's talking about, there'll be no more oppression among the nations. There'll be no one who can do harm, he says. There's no oppression, no harm. It's impossible to do wrong, to hurt others in the presence of God. Because when you fully see God for who he is, the only way to live with that knowledge is righteously. There's no room. If, the, if God is a constant, there's no room for anything else. So the reality of experiencing life in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is the knowing of God unhindered. That makes sense? Nothing in the way of that. So how do we know God on this side of that reality that's coming. Psalm 46.10 says this. Let's read it out loud. He says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still. So, 
when I am still in God's presence and I put myself before God, I'm giving the future reality a moment to break into the present for the reality of God's kingdom, his person, the knowing of him to be present in my life, even this side of eternity. Paul talks about a knowledge of Christ that goes beyond, goes beyond just like thoughts. And Jesus in John 15 speaks about abiding in him, this idea of making our home with him, making our home in him. And the reason is because knowing God is eternal life. And so here's the good news of that. There's no prerequisite. Day one of faith in Jesus, you're invited into the abundant life. But it is a journey that takes time. So access happens at day one, and the journey begins. The abundant life is found by spending time with Jesus. And this is good news for us, but it's also so opposite of the good life that our world is selling you, which is chase, run, strive, achieve, work harder, work faster, work better, be healthier so that you can work better, attain more, be the master of your own fate, acquire more, acquire enough that you can have whatever you want, whenever you want it. You can be really free. That's freedom. And, and Jesus is saying, no, don't chase. Stop. Stop and be with me. If, if abundant life is knowing him, he's saying, I just want you to be with me, to, create, to, to carve out space in your life to know me. Like, don't confuse all of this. If you love church, I love church. I love Sundays. But don't confuse this with knowing Jesus. This isn't the same as the level of walking with Jesus into the, in the day-to-day. There is a life with Jesus outside of here that God intends for you. And don't confuse knowledge about God as knowledge of God. Some of you have more Bible studies on your belt than you can count. But you don't know how to be still. And the enemy, I'll tell you what, he loves that you love to think about the Bible. And it becomes an escape to feel like I'm doing the right thing with Jesus. But you never stop and listen. Now the Bible's awesome, and it does reveal who Christ is. So I'm not speaking against the Bible. I'm saying that there's more than just studying the Bible. It's not about knowing facts. It's about knowing Jesus intimately. And the reason this is important is because if I'm the enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy your life, what do I have to do, guys? I don't have to make you, like, disown your faith. Or, like, I don't have to make you... Like, declare that you're not a follower of Jesus. All I have to do is distract you. 
If I'm the enemy, I love when you're distracted. If I'm the enemy, I love when you're hurried. Oh, I love when you go at a pace that makes you feel great, great, that you're getting something done, but you don't know how to stop. I love that. Why? Because I know that abundant life is only found when you stop and know Christ. It's only found in him, in his person. So I love when you're worried, when you're hurried, when you're moving at a pace that's incredibly fast, when you fill your life with everything you possibly can because you don't want to miss out, when you've put your kids in every activity so that they don't miss out, but your household doesn't know how to stop. See, the unhurried life takes time. And Jesus doesn't want you to be chasing things without knowing him. His offer is very simple. Come to me. Be with me. Unhurry your life. Make space. Make time to know me. And God is okay with process. This is the good news about this. Like God is okay with process. He understands that you're not going to be Jesus or act like Jesus would on day one. He's okay with you failing. You will sin. You will make mistakes. There is no condemnation for those of us who are in Jesus. Just two chapters earlier, the Pharisees threw a woman they caught in adultery at Jesus' feet, and they said, the law says we're supposed to stone this woman. They're trying to trap him. What did Jesus do? It's an amazing story. He starts, he gets down, and he starts to write in the sand. We don't know what he writes. But those who have picked up rocks, you can just imagine, they're, they're ready and Jesus says, you without sin, go ahead, cast the first stone. The playing field's level. We're all with sin. And one by one, they drop their stones, they walk away, and Jesus says, did anyone condemn you? No, neither do I. Go and sin no more. See, Jesus is gracious. He's patient. He's kind. He knows you're in process. That's okay. What he wants is for you in process to run to him, to learn how to look to him, to be with him. Some of you are starting to, to carve out space. You're trying to think about this, to, to do the Sabbath practice. And I'll tell you, the enemy hates the idea of you learning how to stop to be with Jesus. He hates that you would take time to do that. And he's going to do everything in his power to mess with your life, to make you hurried, worried, or, or just running hard. Maybe he's going to make you feel pain. All of those things Jesus is fine with because what he wants you to do is to learn how when you feel hurried and worried and just overwhelmed and you're facing life that's bigger, bigger than you, he wants you to turn to him. When you have an emotion that you just want to not feel anymore, he wants you to turn to him. He doesn't want you to veg out. <laughs> he wants to restore your soul. 
The enemy wants you to either continue the chase or be apathetic, numb it with something. Jesus wants you to run to him. So, the unhurried life takes time. The abundant life that Jesus offers is relationship with himself. It's not even a perfect you, guys. It's not. Jesus doesn't want you. I mean, he he is perfecting you. That is part of walking with Jesus. But that's that's not the main desire. He wants you to be tied to him, tethered to him. Right? He's okay with you being in process. It takes time. Abundant life is time with Jesus. Can you imagine if as a church, we just, every single one of us, over, like all the way through springtime, through Easter, we just all decided when I'm, and by God's grace, by his power may this be so, not by our own strength or effort, but like when I am hurried, I just learn how to run to him. I learn how to stop. Or when I feel something emotionally that I just, it just feels like I, it's too much for me, I run to Jesus. I don't numb it with Netflix or with alcohol or with whatever, you name it. Can you imagine if we stepped in and intentionally gave Jesus eight weeks and said, I'm just going to learn to walk with you. I'm going to learn how to run to you. And let's see what kind of fruit that produces over that time. That's the whole point of what we're doing, the Sabbath groups. And in that, let me tell you, again, practice. Those of you who like knowing how to do something, you're like, I want to know what the rules are, and I want to say I did it perfectly, I, I mastered that. The goal isn't that. The goal is to be with Jesus. It's actually a relationship. It's not master. It's not looking back and saying, like, I rock at Sabbath. I rest better than anyone. You know, it's, it's, to, it's to be in relationship with Jesus. Um, one more. I hope I made some kind of sense this morning, but um, one more parable. I shouldn't have said that. I said that for my own, yeah, to feel good. And then one person was kind of like, meh. Yeah, sorry. But anyway, <laughs> Matthew thirteen thirty three. This is one of the shortest parables Jesus told. He says this. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast. In the band, you can come up. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. And the amount, I don't know why Jesus said 60. If you know, you can come tell me after. But that's a large amount. I don't know how many of you have made like a dough before. Have any like okay? I think I did once. I, maybe it was like a pound, right? Can you imagine sixty pounds of dough? Like, and then you go and you grab some yeast. And you're like, okay, I gotta work this into this whole dough. What is it gonna take? A little time? Yeah. See, it takes time. And the kingdom of heaven. The rule and reign of Jesus in our lives is something that comes in a little bit and we yield to Jesus more and more. 
the Holy Spirit cultivates fruit in our life, the life of Christ. And over time, over time, the rule and reign of Jesus makes its way into all of our life. And that's as we, as it happens, guys, as we know Jesus and we learn to walk with him in all moments, right, we start to experience an abundance of life that is like no other. It's what Jesus promised. 